about it. And Barry, and I have to say, Barry, we're going to do a Florida Man or Not segment. I want to give credit to Mark Russ for our last story in the segment, which has, Barry Russ, I think you'll agree, one of the all-time great uh, expressions that has never before been uttered on this fine podcast, What Say You? I, yeah, that, that was actually a lot of fun. And, uh, there were, I don't, there were two expressions. I, the one definitely, but I don't know if we've ever used the other expression or ever uh, said that. So that's a great story. And, uh, further reflecting on that, thinking about that town that this took place, there's not a lot to do there. So maybe this explains why they're having threesomes, and I'll leave it at that. Yes, it's a story that involves threesomes. Immediately, all the brother shippers out there got their Ratings. ears perked, and they're they're like, "Fuck yeah, we're waiting for that story." Yeah. So on this particular episode, besides the Florida man story that we mentioned, Barry and I will be offering some reviews on documentaries that we recently have watched. We haven't done a documentary review in a while, so I, we hope that you will enjoy that. Besides all that and our match of the week, Florida man, uh, we always have some tidbits to offer along the way. Uh, Barry Rose, first of all, I know you're going to want to congratulate me uh, more than usual. Barry, ask me why. Jeff, I got to tell you, I have this feeling in my heart today that I want to congratulate you. I'm just not sure Thank why. Thank you. Appreciate that. You want to congratulate me because my former school, Florida Atlantic, the Fighting Owls, Barry, FAU. Yes, in the final four, they did not not only have a basketball team when I went there. That's how long ago it was. They didn't have a football team. Uh, they barely had dorms uh, at that point. It was kind of a commuter school. But now, by God, uh, they are in the final four. Is there another school from South Florida in there? I don't know. But we're not going to talk about that other school because we don't care about them. Anyway, on that note, Barry, besides the fighting owls of Florida Atlantic, uh, let's see what else we want to talk about. So, Barry, I came across this uh, story uh, and, and I thought it would make for a good wrestling talking point between you and I. We love a good wrestling related discussion. Barry Rose, you know, we have talked before about who the greatest managers in the history of pro wrestling have been. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, we've talked about, you know, our Arcadian brother, Jim Cornette, uh, 286 episodes, still no appearance. But besides him, uh, the great Bobby Heenan. Uh, there are other people that, uh, you know, uh, there are people in different territories. It's all over Humperdinck, J.J. Dillon, uh, other people. So now, Barry Rose, here in 2023, I ask you, is it time, Barry Rose, for us to look at Paul Heyman as one of the all-time greatest managers in the history of the business? What I think you? it is. I think it is, too. And I, I think if there had been a knock on Heyman previously, it would have been that he's around and then he disappears for years. And he's been around for quite a while now and uh, been employed by the Federation for a while. When it comes to being able to articulate a great promo, I think there are a few that are in his league, at least currently. Certainly, you know, he speak, the way he speaks is much better than the way that I speak. Paul Heyman can cut a promo, and more importantly, the reaction of these promos from the crowd, it's always spectacular. I, I, think, I think it's safe to say if you're doing a top 10, Paul Heyman's in there easy. If you're doing a top five, might be a little bit tighter but I do think he's a top 10 of all time at this stage. Well, let me ask you this. All right. Which is better, Paul Heyman in the WWE, Paul Heyman in WCW, Paul Heyman in Memphis, Paul Heyman in ECW? What say you? 
Paul Heyman in ECW was very good, but I, I do think the Paul Heyman that you're seeing now in the Federation is a more mature Paul Heyman. Uh, somebody that's been around the business now, essentially almost his whole life, right? The guy started off very young, young and thin with a full head of hair. And, uh, remember those days, Barry? Well, uh, yeah. I have photos that I can look back on and yeah, and I remember from that way, but he, uh, you know, he's grown and, Literally and figuratively. That's true. I didn't mean it that way. The puns are there, but I didn't mean it. But he has. He is as a as a performer, as a as a promo guy, he has grown tremendously. I I'm a fan. Look, he I think he can do no wrong when he gets in front of a mic. So I I would say what he's doing currently might be the best work he of his entire career. So would you say and when we get to our match of the week that we're going to discuss, uh, Seth Rollins versus Cody Rhodes, June 5th, 2022, Hell in the Cell, one of the things we comment about one of the guys in the match is the fact that the way he's being presented now is maybe indicative of having uh, the term I believe I use very strong pimp hand. Do you think that Paul Heyman, as he's being presented now, is Paul Heyman showing his mastery of the craft of the promo true, being a great uh, ringside general, if you will, but a man who also is showing all those things while behind the scenes, he has a strong pimp hand, whether it be Triple H, whether it be Vince, controlling him that he did not have in ECW. What do you say about that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, look, he did some great stuff in ECW. No, no question. That, and that was, that was what, 25, 30 years ago at this stage, right? 25 years ago? Well, so, not if you believe some people. Because That's uh, true. That's uh, I think true. Tommy Dreamer and uh, Bubba, uh, you know, just uh, did a uh, headline match on, on one of uh, Javorski's shows, but uh, combined <laughs> age like 103. Is that what we're calling now, Javorski yeah, shows? Yeah, shows that apparently nobody else watches. <laughs> so M- Impact is now relegated. They're changing the name from TNA Impact to J- Javorski shows yes. uh, because nobody does watch it, right? But, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. With that, they uh, they do put out a decent product. It's It doesn't come across as major league. But with it, look, their matches are generally pretty good. And Josh Alexander was excellent. Yeah, that's, in my opinion, that's a mistake. And I've seen these two guys. I saw them go at it in, uh, in shows in Philly. I think it was House of Hardcore. Tommy Dreamer was all, also the promoter of that. So they're, they're best friends in real life. It makes sense that they're going to work against each other. But personally, I don't think I have a desire to see it. I did not see the match and I could care less, but a bunch of people said it was really good. So who knows? So yeah, getting back to my, uh, on my question though. Is he better now because he has someone behind the scenes who sort of is keeping him in the lanes? I think, I think, think that, I don't think that hurts. And I think that coupled with maturity, uh, is probably, yeah, it's probably it. Okay. So now that we've said all that, what do you say we go to our match of the week as we are going to a little hell in the cell action? Cody Rhodes taking on Seth Rollins. Let's, uh, see what we have to say about that match. Very time for a little match of the week discussion. And hey, Barry, we're going into this century, not only this century. Barry, it was last year, less than a year ago. We are nothing if not topical. I think you will agree, my friend. We are topical, too. And this is a match, too, that uh, actually uh, people that I think had reached out to us, even recommending this match, 
based on the impact that it had. But, uh, you know, every so often it's nice to get right back into like the 21st century, Jeff. Exactly. So our match of the week, we're going to June 5th, 2022. Hell in the cell. Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins. Barry Rose, you had a chance to watch this match. Tell the good folks what you thought of this match. So this is a great match. And, uh, I think, I think my hesitation because, uh, I know that somebody had reached out to me months ago and, and I was relatively insistent upon, you got to watch this match. It's incredible. You got to watch it. And the truth is Cody for the most part has been a channel changer for me. And Seth Rollins, I don't know, you know, I've seen him now 10 years, I'm going to assume. And I just, you know, I think I was bored of him. So I didn't want to watch it. You know, you sent the edict down. You must watch this match or else. So I sat down or you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Bro. No paycheck this week. And, uh, I sat down, I, I put forth the 30 minutes, so you had 28 minutes and change to watch it. And I gotta say, it's a great match, Jeff. And really what I think is so great about this match, and it's one of the things that we talk about, the difference between, and certainly there are many differences between territorial wrestling and the wrestling of today. And I think one of the big, if not the biggest difference, is the ability to actually tell a story. And when somebody – look, there was a, a – there's some great matches, AEW, WWE, whatever, and it a lot of these matches are essentially moves and maneuvers tied together. They last four minutes, and then the match is over. And you're not really able to tell a story. An example, you see this every week, a, a match that – has a lot of high spots, but tells a story, I think, is the recent Kenny Omega Vikingo match, right? That match did did kind of tell a story, though, I and I hate to use the term spot fest, there were a, an amazing amount of spots in that, and some of those spots were amazing. But this match tells a story from the second the guys walk down to the, the cage till the second that the match is over. I believe even to this day, nine months later, this is still telling a story. And that's really important. And if you're looking for something to have an impact, that's why these matches that last three and four minutes don't have impact. There's nothing. You'll forget about it. You'll forget about it. And, you know, as you're watching it, you're, you're like you're already somewhere well, let else. Me, let, let me interrupt you. For Please. A Based on what you've just said, does that mean that in your opinion, and I'm not speaking for the audience, the millions and millions of listeners. But will you, Barry Rose, based on what you just said, forget the Omega uh, Vikingo match within the next couple of weeks? What do you think? I probably won't only because it, it did there, for two reasons. There was a story being told and they actually set it up beforehand. They were supposed to meet years ago. I think it was COVID or an injury canceled that, but these guys had been planning on, on wrestling each other for a couple of years. Vikingo is, is incredible in what he can do. There, there was very little psychology. It just, it, he appeared to, and I'm, this is not a knock either where a lot of people are at all. He appeared to be, to be a, a really exciting gymnast doing maneuvers out there. I didn't see a lot of quote unquote wrestling as I did just the high spots. However, 
with Omega, he was able to kind of wrangle him. And again, like or hate Omega, it doesn't matter, but he is a, a wrestler. He's much less of a high spot guy. So he was able to make this a, a really interesting kind of enthralling matchup, which I liked. But the match also went some 20 minutes or close to it. So I think that's a difference. A lot of time with these high spot matches, they're just a few minutes long and it just, it moves right on. But this was a better match. Even though the other match, the, the Omega by Kingo match was more spectacular, this match was better. And it, it told the story first off, Cody coming in with arguably the nastiest bruise in the history of professional wrestling that we've ever seen. This was the, I believe, the pec tear, and that bruise is, you know, if I had that bruise, I, I got to tell you, I would be crying from start to finish and all points in between. Fucking Cody Rhodes came in and wrestled a match and took shots on that bruise. There was no way to hide that. You can, I, I Cody to me has always been, an, and I, I, I never like saying it. I always felt guilty because I don't feel that anybody tried harder than Cody, put forth more, you know, as much effort. I just felt, you know, Cody was Cody. He was, this was as far as Cody was going to go. He couldn't go any farther. The same way, look, I used to play tennis when I was a kid, right? I knew at some point, you know, you're never going to get any better. You know, you're, this is it. It's as good as you're going to get. That's kind of Cody to me. But when it comes forth with the effort, I don't know if anybody in recent history puts forth the amount of effort and lays his body on the line the way that Cody does. And you and I said that, and I think it was during the MJF deal where he was getting whipped and some of those lashes were like catching him on the side of the face and shit. And we were like, why does he do it? Cody had to prove, you know, I don't, he didn't have to. Cody felt he had to prove something to, uh, to people watching him that he was a tough guy and capable of doing all this shit. So to go out there in the condition he's in, have what is essentially a really good match is kind of boggling with it. I loved Everything about it, the only thing that possibly I I didn't need in some form, I didn't need all the gimmicks coming in, whether it was the uh, the bull rope, which I get was a nice touch to his dad, or the sledgehammer, which is a Triple H thing, or even the tables. I don't know if that was truly needed for this match, but I walked away. I had a new appreciation, again, I guess a reappreciation for Cody. Tyler Black, Seth Rollins can make anyone look good in the ring. I, I kind of feel he's that kind of worker where he can do that. But I now offer this thought, and it is amazing, and I think we said this either last week or the week before. The AEW audience is completely different than the WWE audience. They were booing Cody out of the building. Cody was tossing his ring belt out to the fans, and they were tossing it back. They they hated this guy. The WWE has made him a sympathetic babyface through their booking. And Tony Khan, as much as so many people like to rag on him, and I, I'm not that, but you do have to call it like it is at times – the fact that he won't listen to anything outside of his little world, which I don't know if he listens to anybody other than what his internal self is telling him. 
these are mistakes that are being made. And I realize Cody never wanted to turn heel, but Cody was essentially, and you always said it, Jeff, especially in the beginning of AEW, you would never buy Cody as the top guy. And Cody was being forced down the throats of all of the AEW fans, and eventually they started turning on him. In the WWE, he's presented as the underdog. He's presented as the guy that couldn't get it done. He is the underdog, the son of the dream, but a guy that that was mid-card. And, and that was referenced, I think, on a recent uh, interview or promo by, by Roman Reigns. So they've been able to get him over through smart booking. Tony Khan, seriously, I'm, I'm an AEW fan. But at some point, you've got to realize you're not growing at this point. The, the the product is relatively stagnant, but your numbers are stagnant. You're not growing. If that, you know, there's an old saying in the restaurant business that I learned, Jeff, when I was a manager, but not a server. And it's check. Com- check. Thank you. Complacency will kill you. And if you don't change the way that you operate, you will die on the vine. And there's so much truth to that because, look, if you go back to our world, where was social media 20 years ago? Didn't exist. Computers in every home 30 years ago didn't exist. The world changes on a daily basis. So if Tony Khan, and maybe that's it, maybe he doesn't give a shit. Maybe he's got enough money where he can just fucking do this as long as he wants. But at some point, and look, we criticize the WWE almost every episode, and we have, they have done a masterful job with not only Roman Reigns, but with Cody Rhodes and getting him over as a viable potential candidate, somebody that could really take the world title from Roman Reigns. If you would have told me that before Cody's first match back in the Federation, I would have said, you're crazy. The guy has nothing to offer. I was wrong. So let me just say that. I disagree with you. What? To a to a slight extent. Okay. okay. I, I enjoyed this match. Uh, I thought it was a, a good to very good match. I don't know that I thought it was a great match, and I'll tell you why. Uh, although I, I do agree with some of the points you just made there. Uh, first of all, you and I uh, were both very loud critics of, of Cody when he was in AEW. But I got to tell you, when he takes the jacket off and you see that you know, that shoulder and the injury that he had going into this match, tons of respect to the guy, uh, because this was something that uh, how many people would have backed out of, of doing this match with an injury like that? Yeah, the show must go on, all that kind of crap. But you know, it would have been very easy for him to say, yeah, no, I, I got to put this off for a, a, at least a week or, or two just to let this thing heal up and, you know, see if you can rework the booking, uh, you know, whatever you have to do. But certainly he deserves a lot of respect for going through with this match with that injury coming into it. OK, now I'm going to say that. Wow. Do I hate the WWE version of a cage match? Because <laughs> I'll give you that. Yes. When you have a cage match, there is something that you and I and everyone over a certain age has been taught about a cage match. And that is somebody's fucking getting color. OK, a cage match without color is ridiculous. OK, especially a cage match that involves multiple gimmicks being under the ring 
including my all-time most hated gimmick, even more hated than the barbed wire match gimmick, okay? I fucking hate the sledgehammer that Triple H has brought into the equation as being some sort of, it's a fucking sledgehammer. And I don't understand how you hit somebody with a sledgehammer and the guy kicks out at two. Uh, yeah, I, what the fuck? Come on. <laughs> Be better than that, people. It's ridiculous. They should take yeah. that away yeah. from the ring and throw it in a dumpster somewhere or go down and use it on a farm or a construction site, but say, keep this shit away from wrestling. That, that doesn't have any place. You know, uh, we were joking recently. Uh, how about instead, you know, you just put a machine gun under the ring. Let's see if someone kicks out from that. And, of course, I was being hyperbolic just in case someone couldn't figure that out. But uh, how how stinking realistic, and I know we're talking pro wrestling, okay, how stupid is it for somebody to get hit with a sledgehammer and then, uh, you know, it doesn't completely put them in a hospital? It's ridiculous, okay? So you got that. The match itself, I, I have to tell you, I because, as I've said on many occasions, I have not followed the WWE for the last 10-plus years. I wasn't into the whole uh, – help me out, Barry. What was the group that uh, Roman and Seth and and, uh, and uh, Dean Ambrose Oh, uh, The Shield. The Shield. I, I completely missed that, never saw any of it, okay? But I got to tell you, this match, Seth Rollins is a really good heel, okay? He was doing some stuff, and I was like – that's, that's pretty good shit, man. I, I like what he was doing there, okay? Good, effective heel work, okay? No problem with that. I have a problem with a dumb cage match not having any blood, and I know that's a Vince thing, okay? And it was interesting. Earlier this morning, I was reading uh, the latest Observer, and Dave was saying that you can see uh, a little bit of the tentacles of Vince McMahon coming out where apparently during uh, one of the matches that they, they had pre-taped, somebody, uh, the announcers, whatever, used the term wrestler or wrestling, and Vince had them go back and edit that out. Uh, there was some sort of reference to that. And I'm like, Re really? Ugh, you know, and that's completely a Vince thing, okay? And there's a lot of stuff that, that I've read and I've heard about, about Triple H and that he's doing, he books different from Vince, man. And he's, he's, uh, doing, I don't know why all of a sudden I started doing the Hulk Hogan affectation. That's I, pretty uh, good. Yeah. Let me tell you, yesterday we, we went to Best Buy to buy a new printer because our printer after like, I don't know, 12 years was tapping out. And so we were walking by, we were looking at the different selections and the one we ended up buying, Barry, was the brother printer. <laughs> I told him, I go, yeah, we're getting the whole Kogan model, brother. There it is, brother. So, we're going to print some shit right now. Yeah, brother. Yeah, I I'm going to put it over. So, I'm not going to do the pinfall for the brother uh, printer. But anyway, um, so getting back to this match, I enjoyed the match for what it was. If this had been a match with no cage, well, then maybe, you know, you could sit there and say, okay, yeah, they brought the table into it. And, you know, there were the, the you know, and uh, Seth Rollins was using the, the gimmicks against uh, Cody and his uh, injured shoulder. And that would have played into it a little better. But, you know, the cage match where you don't have any sort of, you know, uh, that reminds me, you know, uh, remember how stupid it was uh, when they had the uh, the cage matches? I don't know if they called it a, a WWE cage or a Hogan cage where, you know, it was like the uh, the very like the one he had against Bundy in WrestleMania two, where it was like this. Uh, it wasn't like the cages we saw in Florida. Oh, it was you terrible. Know? Yeah. yeah, 
And so it was just really, you know, like a, it was a, it was a cage that somebody of a certain size, dare I say, could climb much easier than the regular fence cage. Okay. But, uh, this was a really good match if you take out of uh, the equation the fact that it was a really stupid cage match. That doesn't mean that everyone has to turn into, uh, you know, Mick Foley, uh, falling through the top of the cage or being thrown from the top of the cage down to the table. And, you know, oh my God, as God is my witness, he's, he's, you know, he's killed him or whatever Jim Ross said. No, you don't have to do that. But if you're not going to do any blood, why are you doing this gimmick? It's stupid. So let me reca- uh, recap. Cody, tons of credit. Uh, for working with this injury, Seth Holland, uh, Seth Rollins, really good heel work in this match. Okay. Good match outside of the cage. Now I do want to address, uh, one thing that you said, Barry was, um, Cody and, you know, the whole, how much people in AEW, uh, didn't like him and sort of disrespected him and would throw his belt back when he'd throw it out to the crowd. You know, the difference as I see it is I think that because Cody was one of the guys that was in with AEW along with the Bucks and Omega at the very forefront of getting the promotion started. I think in hindsight, I really wonder if Tony Khan was very hesitant to say no uh, to, to Cody on certain things, you know, like, uh, Hey, I want to do this. No, you know, like uh, I can't say this because he's one of the guys that helped me start this company. Whereas, in WWE, where you said, wow, he's being used so effectively and they're doing such a great job of putting him over. That's what's known as having a strong pimp hand behind your career, because whether it's Vince, whether it's Triple H, he's now got guys that when he comes up with an idea, like having his wife for a valet, say, as a baby face, that Triple H or Vince could say, yeah, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. I'm sorry. Where, as in AEW, if Tony Khan would have said no to that, maybe Cody throws a hissy fit, okay? Or if Tony Khan said, hey, Cody, uh, listen, uh, the crowd hates you. We need you to turn heel. Uh, by the way, uh, remember how they didn't want to turn Roman Reigns heel, and then when they finally did, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about him, how, how he's this generational performer? Uh, you know, think about if Cody would have agreed to turn heel in AEW, and I get why maybe he didn't want to, but if he had listened and turned heel, I think he would have been the number one heel in the in the country, Absolutely. and his wife, as the the you know little snotty, uh, great looking chick that she was, that was orchestrating his man her man's career, she would have been just as hated. They would have been incredibly fucking over, and yet they didn't uh, want to do that. And maybe it was because Tony felt like he couldn't do uh, couldn't say those things to her or couldn't present those ideas to him and have it accepted by Cody the way. That when Vince presents an idea to Cody and says, okay, this is what we're going to do with you, and this is going to lead to you down the road facing – because let's be honest, one of the things that I will give full credit to Vince and to Triple H uh, for is that they have a long-term goal and a long-term vision. They see beyond this week and next week, okay, and all credit to them for that. And maybe they presented that idea to Cody. And maybe after presenting that idea to Cody, he went, oh, you know, that's actually a pretty damn good idea because, you know – uh, not having, uh, Mrs. Cody, uh, by his side, maybe that's led to, to, uh, to Cody being more accepted by the fans as a baby face. Yes, maybe, sir. I maybe things like, agree with that. May, maybe things like Cody going to the ring with his obvious injury, having the, the heel work over his injury and then Cody fighting through it, getting the win, spoiler alert, uh, you know, 
it leads to him being more accepted by, as you said, the vastly different WWE audience than he was by the AEW audience. Let's be honest, despite what the poll reflected in our group, both groups have slightly delusional fans when it comes to their product. But anyway, we will post a link to it. Do you got anything further you want to say before I do? The I, I was I was going to touch on Brandy. I'm glad you did. I, I think that was part of it. I think you've never seen anybody fail so miserably for so long the way that Brandy did. And, and they, they must have changed her gimmick five times, had her in different fat. All of it was a bust. The fans did not want to see her. And at some point, if Cody's the VP, which he was apparently, right? At some point, you've got to realize this is all, this is the age old issue. This was a big issue with his dad. If you're in an executive role, the company is bigger than you are personally. And, and they always need to look at that. And Cody wasn't willing to look at that. Cody, even though he was a VP, it was still about quote unquote Cody. He still had to, still had to be at the top guy, still had to do this. And to me, it ridiculous. Uh, I, I think he would have been in some ways wise to stay with AEW unless he's burned the bridge and can never go back. And I don't, that I don't know. I do think what's occurring in the Federation, uh, or entertainment, whatever it's called, is going to be temporary, meaning that if we're having this conversation in two years about Cody, I don't think it'll be the same. I think what we're seeing is a temporary pop. I don't know how they're going to be able to sustain this, and it makes me wonder, has he burned the bridge with AEW? Be the VP, get paid, you stay there, but Cody obviously wanted to take this to the Federation. You made some really, really good points. Brandy is the albatross, though. I think we both can agree on that. Well, and maybe the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, you know, uh, yes. as far as the, that's what his dad's uh, ultimate downfall was about. And, you know, it, does, it doesn't mean that Cody needs to go out there and become, uh, you know, the plumber with the polka dots like his dad was. You don't need to do that. But I wonder, you know, since you said did Cody burn the bridge, I wonder whether or not if Cody didn't burn the bridge, if his wife might have burned the bridge. You know, maybe she did some, uh, you know, things on the way out or said some things on the way out. Well, I mean, we don't know. I'm just speculating. No, uh, you know, yeah, you might be and, right. Yeah. And maybe uh, maybe Cody was perfectly cool, shook hands with Tony Khan. And then on the way out, uh, you know, Brandy turned around and said, hey, Tony, go fuck yourself, you know, or something like that. And maybe Cody will be welcome back and maybe she won't be. And, you know, one of the things I wonder, since he was uh, always been a guy that was so uh wanted his dad's legacy to be part of what who are or what and who he is and and was uh if you you know you mentioned uh two years down the road what happens if uh you know next year or two years from now uh they go to cody and say okay cody hey you, you did good for us as a baby face uh the wrestlemania thing and stuff like that but yeah now it's time maybe to uh do a little old switcherino here and it's time to flip you to the other side will he be accepting of that uh, with a strong pimp hand, or will he say, it's time for me to leave and go back to AEW? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. So on that note, we will post a link to this uh, this match. Barry loved it, thought it was great. I thought it was good to very good. Uh, hate the fucking cage like nobody's business. It's poison to me. We'll post a link to it in our Facebook group, Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. Check it out. 
Spurry, you know, it has been a hot moment since you and I have come up with a little bit of movie recommendation uh, type of stuff. And you and I both love a good documentary. Barry, I understand that you had a chance to see not one, but two documentaries that you'd like to recommend. Barry Rose, hit us with your best shot, as Pat Benatar once sang. Do you know the weird thing about that, Jeff? She will not play that song in concert any longer. But the what? Yes, I thought, I I thought you were going to say Pat was going to be a guest here on Breaking. I, the boy, that would be awesome. I'm, I was a back in the day, and we can get on a Pat Pat Benatar rant. I was a huge Pat Benatar fan, and I always felt her. There place were in three history. girls, I believe, at Ridgemont High that had adopted the Pat Benatar look. Uh, am I correct, Barry? That's what you mean. Oh, what a great scene! They all look just like her. But for whatever reason, her career, I'm going to assume around 85, 86, just kind of trailed off, and that was it for her. And what a body of work. I mean, the first first half of the 80s, she owned. But solid, any case. I, I She's still her. out there, by the way. Uh, I saw her this past summer. She played yeah. uh, at an outdoor venue. There was about 3,000 people there. Her husband, Neil Giraldo, obviously, on guitar. She still sounds great, but... She would, everybody was waiting for this song and we figured, okay, she's going to wind up closing with the song. So as she goes into the encore, she says, just so everybody's aware, I will not play hit me with your best shot. And it has something to do with uh shot being a reference from a gun and school shootings, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it was a little disappointing. No, I thought it was, I thought you were going to say some sort of domestic violence related thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, that's uh, understandable, I suppose. It is. Look, everybody makes their own decisions, but still sounds great. Uh, she looks great. The hair is white now. It's kind of white like my beard. Well, there's a reference right there, right? Oh, it, my. It, exactly. But with that, uh, if you ever get the chance, she still sounds unbelievable. Get out there and see her. So with that, Jeff, you had reached out to me, I believe, this past Friday and said, hey, if you get a chance – Watch a documentary, and Jeff, what do I want to do? I want to exceed expectations. I watched four. I believe actually what I did was I ordered you, Barry Rose. <laughs> that was it. The host and co-host, the host ordering the co-host. I demand you watch it. Uh, you know, so you you, you know accepted uh, my responsibility, uh, what I'd given you, the, the task of sign to you. And so, Barry, tell us what that movie paycheck will not show up unless Thank you, you watch these days. Exactly. You. So I uh, I made sure that we sat down this past week and we watched four. I'm going to gloss over the first two just because they were, you know, these were kind of pedestrian. One was about the history of the Wizard of Oz. I believe it was on Tubi. If not, maybe it was on Freebie TV, and it was essentially an hour long, and it details the history of The Wizard of Oz. Going back to the books, not a lot of time spent on the movie, strangely enough, but more about the history of it. If you like The Wizard of Oz, it's a fun look. The second one I watched is something called uh, Pizza. Go figure. And uh, I watched that Saturday night around 7 o'clock as Linda, the lovely Linda, and I were enjoying pizza. So we felt we should watch it. It's a nice documentary, but at the end of the day, I didn't get much new from it. The only thing I got new that I didn't quite know, one was if you go to Naples, Italy, Napoli, there is, I guess, a on every block, there's like eight different pizza parlors. Like it's such a tradition in Naples with pizza. The other was apparently the best pizza in the world comes from Marseille in France. Now. 
that one was kind of mind-blowing in the sense that, what do you mean the French are doing the best pizza? But apparently, Italian immigrants had gone to Marseille, and now it's a big deal. They have their own version. It's very similar, I think, to what they're doing in Italy and probably not too far off of what we're doing here in this country. If you love pizza, it's I think it's 30 minutes, 35 minutes, nice and easy. But the two that I saw. Underrated, by the way, 80s film. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Barry, Mystic Pizza. You ever seen that? Many times. Well, you and I have gushed over Anna yes. Dish before. Yes. So, Julia yeah. Roberts, uh, very Julia good Roberts. movie. Yes. Okay. Uh, and who else? There was a third. Wasn't there a third in that? Uh, I can't. Uh, let me look it up real quick because uh, it's going to bug me now. The third woman was Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor. Good movie, though. Mystic yes, a nice movie. Uh, the premise is great. I mean, especially if you spend any time up in the Northeast and understand how uh, the, the beach, the shore is seasonal, etc., this was great, but I watched two on HBO Max last night before American Idol, Jeff, I should say. Well, well, okay. As I still cannot break that habit, but uh, the first one is a movie called The Automat, and it essentially details the history and the rise and the fall of automats in this country. And automats, if you've never – and I know that they were in several cities, New York, Philadelphia, I believe, Chicago, and some others. But essentially, these were very ornate, beautiful-style restaurants, marble, brass everywhere, a lot of money, beautiful chandeliers. However, there were no servers. Everything was done. You would go to the counter. You would plop your dollar or two down. You would get nickels, and you would put nickels into machines, and these little glass boxes would open up, and you could get a slice of pie. They did, like, chicken pot pie or beef pie. They did a bunch of stuff, and uh, it, it was fascinating because the popularity of these – they had been around since the 19, the early 1900s. They exploded in popularity in the 1960s. And then really by the, the late 60s, early 1970s, it was pretty much all done. But it, it has two great appearances. One is Mel Brooks, who is still with us this today. He's 97 years old. And the late Carl Reiner, who I was a my God, was I a huge fan of Carl Reiner. As an actor, as a director, it didn't matter. But these two guys talked about growing up in New York. They come from the same area of Brooklyn, and they would go to the automats, and they would just reminisce. And it was so touching how important this automat was to their to their youth, to the days when they were young. And uh, just an amazing, amazing, heartfelt documentary. As I watched it with Linda, she had no idea. I, I knew automats from New York. I never knew that really Philadelphia was the birthplace. The last automat in New York, and this kills me, was in New York City on 42nd and 3rd, and it closed in 1991, meaning I had probably spent years in New York walked by this place a million times and I never fucking went in once 91 and I never went in once Linda had never heard about the automats strangely enough though Jeff I was in New York City three weeks ago Linda wanted to go to a gap that gap stands where the last hardened hard horn and hard hat is what it was called hard art horn and hard art it's easy for you to say 
No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Even when I was watching on TV, I was still butchering the shit out of it. But I got to say, it was a really great documentary because it was about a business that people didn't know. You know, outside of these big cities, a lot of people didn't know about this. It's been gone for over 30 years. But the Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner component of this, and I know that you're a fan of both, it, it'll, it'll, it'll touch you. It'll touch you in the way that you want to be touched. So I, I highly recommend the second one that I watched. Well, wait a minute. Absolutely. I, I, I thought I was going to interject mine. Oh, please. And then you were going to do yours to close Absolutely. out the segment. As discussed before we began recording. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> so let me tell you about the documentary that I watched, Barry. So Barry Rose, uh, acclaimed uh, and honored podcaster, had suggested a TV show to me that I watched that's on Prime. I'm almost done with season one. It's called The Man in the High Castle. And, oh. whoa, it's top-notch, by the way. Uh, just an incredible show. Uh, and thank you for that recommendation. But so one night I'm on Prime. I'm like, oh, let me see what else they got. Uh, you know, just scrolling through if there's anything new that's come out on Prime that I haven't seen that I you know, want to hit in the save category. And as I'm going through, I run across – this movie. So before I tell you what the title of the movie is, Barry, let me ask you, uh, you've had a chance uh, in your uh, various comings and goings throughout this fine country to hit uh, a lot of different airports. Have you ever been to the uh, fine Atlanta airport? Oh, absolutely. I was there for your daughter's wedding. I was yes, Hartfield Jackson. So I stumble upon this uh, documentary that's called The Secret Life of the World's Busiest Airport. One hour, seven minutes about everything that happens during a day at Hartfield Jackson Airport, uh, which is just south of Atlanta, uh, downtown, that kind of thing. And holy shit, Barry, did you realize that Hartfield Jackson Airport employs 63,000 people? Wow. That's just fucking mind-blowing. It accommodates on a yearly basis 100 million people pass through Atlanta's airport. The busiest airport in the entire country, right? In the world, according the, wow. according to what they said. I mean, and it's just staggering the volume of things that go on there. And you think about it, and they, they talk with different people that work there. You, you know, not just the, the they talk to the TSA agents. And I have to say, when you see this, you really, you know, a lot of times dealing with TSA at the airports now, uh, especially after 9-11, it's just like, oh, what a pain in the ass. They won't let me carry my, you know, my bottle of Coke or, or Pepsi that I'm just about done with. They make me throw it out and I can't carry it on the plane. Besides all that, I like the, the kind of shit they have to put up with. And they talk about the stuff that they seize. And it's not just weapons. It's stuff like, uh, you know, people coming in from other countries that are bringing plants and fruits that, you know, they're, they're not clear to come into this country because uh, sometimes they carry pests in them that they don't want getting into this country. And how they dispose of those products is kind of interesting. Then they show people that work on the airfield itself, not just the people that handle the bag. Think about it. If you have 100 million passengers coming through your uh, airport every year, think about the amount of baggage that's coming through that airport, Barry. It's oh. absolutely mind-boggling. Then they talk about the people that uh, deal with, uh, you know, they, they have people that have to maintain the lighting around the airport at night. And between the hours of 12 midnight and 6 a.m., 
All these people have to go. They do checks on the lights to make it. Let me, I'm just going to put this out there. If you're a pilot flying in at night, you're not going to want to have a bunch of lights that are out on a landing strip. I'm, I'm just going to point that out there. And then other things like, you know, uh, the, the cleaning of the bathrooms that they do at night and they literally show them with like, like one of those, uh, uh, power hoses or whatever that you clean your driveway off with oh, and they're yeah, going into all the bathrooms and like you know uh cleaning the, them down and the amount of staff that has to just handle the cleaning uh the 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 lights the TSA 63,000 people work at this airport it's absolutely and then they go up into the tower and you see the system that is involved with landing they literally have planes taking off I want to say like every 30 to 45 seconds and the system that's in place to make sure that those uh, landings are done safely, that the takeoffs from the airport are done safely to all points uh, throughout the globe. Absolutely stunning. And I watched this movie and I said, holy shit, this is something that if you had, you know, if Barry had said, hey, Jeff, you need to check, check out this movie about what it's like to run an airport in Atlanta, I'd have been like, are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm telling you. This is a fascinating, fascinating. Now, is it something you're going to sit there and go, oh, uh, I'm laughing my ass off here or, wow, this is super suspenseful? No, but it's just a compelling look at what goes on behind the scenes in a major airport in the United States. And think about it. This is what just goes on in Atlanta. Think about all the other, yeah, New York, Chicago, L.A., all these other airports throughout the country that they're doing this. And the operation system is absolutely mind-blowing, and I can't recommend this movie enough. It's on Prime, The Secret Life of the World's Busiest Airport. I really hope you'll check it out. It's one hour, bada-boom, bada-bing, you're in, you're out, and it's pretty fascinating shit, Barry. I hope you check it out. So what's your other recommendation, my man? I absolutely will check that out, too. And i got to say, it is, it is a, it's a crazy airport. And any time I had to connect, I know that there are more connections that run through that airport also than any other airport in the U.S., well, yeah. and it is the home of Delta, too. So that, that's, that's it. It's the part, home yeah. of Delta. Yeah, that's exactly right. My other film is a movie called Alabama Snake. And this was an interesting one. I believe I heard about the uh, Alabama Black Snake uh, in uh, one of uh, Stanley Kubrick's films. But uh, That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly what you're referring to there. A little caught off guard by that, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yes, it is a, uh, so it, flicking around and was like, what should we watch? And two hours later, 90 minutes later, we're like, holy shit, do you believe it? Anyways, it follows the attempted murder of the wife of a pastor. And the pastor is a pastor in a Pentecostal church, meaning that this is one of the guys that, that handles the poisonous rattlesnakes. And I that, am looking this up on IMDb, Barry. I think I've seen this movie. So please continue. I, but I've seen this. Yes. Movie. Go ahead. So the big revelation. I mean, there were several big revelations, but essentially the pastor, Glenn Summerford, I believe was his name, tries to kill his wife by by basically for putting a gun to her head and forcing her hand in a box full of rattlesnakes. Then he won't let her call the police. So 24 hours later, the hand is uh, starting to turn black, all this shit. But it's it follows this story from start to finish. I'll spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear what happens, lower this. But he goes on trial for the attempted murder. It takes two days and it comes back. He's guilty and he's sentenced to 99 years because he's a, he's a convicted felon to begin with, but it is 
there was a movie that was out several years ago, and I, I believe it was called The Wonderful Whites of, like, West Virginia or something. Yes, you recommended that movie. Yeah, and essentially it's it's a look at people who live up in the Appalachian Mountains. They're, you know, they're backwards in a lot of ways. There's not a lot of education nor hygiene. And, uh, you know, dental dental care is not a priority. And this movie is a it really is a follow up in some ways to that movie because some of these people are absolutely frightening. But there there's a lot of footage that takes place in the church as they're handling these snakes. And one guy gets bit and they have to take him to the hospital. And it's amazing because nobody rushes to get people to the hospital. I, I'm assuming that they're praying to their God in some form that he's going to be cured. But then they wind up getting people to the hospital. But it, it follows from, you know, the beginning of this guy's life. And he had a really horrifically fucked up childhood, hard to believe, to the end of this trial. And then it, and this, this was in 1991. Then it touches base with people today. The sad part is the woman who got bit, who was the second wife of this preacher, was I don't want to say she was a great looking woman, but she wasn't the worst thing you've ever seen. But in the last 30 years, besides a weight gain, there looks to be a very serious drug problem. And that that to me was just kind of like, you know, because I as you're listening to the story, you're you're sympathizing with her. She'd been through hell. They had a young son together. I don't believe the son has any communication with his mother now. Father, again, is in jail for life. But they interviewed the mother. And uh, I, I would assume it's a drug problem because nobody nobody moves like that. She's got that constant tweaking look that the tweakers get just that constant movement. So very sad, but you know, if anything, you'll be grateful for your childhood. That's kind of what I took away from this. My childhood wasn't perfect as it nobody's is, but I got to say compared to this, it was good. Very last week, the extremely loquacious Steve Kern, great guest, but because of some time constraints, uh, vis-a-vis, we couldn't go four hours. Uh, we did not get to any Florida man or not stories. And I know our listeners love the Florida man stories. Barry, you ready to go? I'm ready. Bring it on. Well, and as fate would have it, the very first Florida man or not story involves food, Barry, which oh. is win-win for Barry Rose. <clears throat> the headline reads, Barry, man files lawsuit against Buffalo Wild Wings claiming boneless wings are actually nuggets. <laughs> First of all, Barry, he's right. First of all, right. okay, I was going to say, I'm not going to say he's 100% right. But is he yeah. correct? Yes, okay. A man has filed a clash action lawsuit against Buffalo Wild Wings, accusing the restaurant chain of false advertising in regards to their boneless chicken wings. In the lawsuit, the plaintiff claims Buffalo Wild Wings and its parent company, Inspire Brands Incorporated. Are you familiar with Inspire Brands, Barry? I am, yes. Okay. Uses false and deceptive advertising for its boneless wings. Buffalo Wild Wings customers are led to believe that the boneless wings are made from the wings of the chicken and have been deboned. However, the boneless wings are actually slices of chicken breast meat deep fried like chicken wings. According to the lawsuit, according to the complaint, the boneless wings are actually nuggets and not wings, making it a clear cut case of false advertising that should not be allowed. Barry Rose, was this lawsuit filed? In Florida or somewhere else? I want to say this was filed somewhere else. It was not Florida. 
And with that, the guy, the guy's right. You know, so I've always had an issue when I walk by a restaurant and they're advertising world's best coffee. They have an obligation, in my opinion, to put out the best coffee I've ever tasted. Right. So if you're advertising boneless wings, there was never a wing in any of these bones and in, in any of these these meats. It's ridiculous. So I I. Why not just call it what it is, whether it's a chicken finger, a chicken nugget, a tender. But when you call it boneless wings, to me, I don't know. It, something about it just drives me crazy. I agree with the guy. I don't think he's going to win this. Uh, but at the same time, I hate the fact that they do that. This took place, Jeff. This took place in Nebraska. Chicago, Illinois. So, yeah, yeah, you talk about your chicken breast, your chicken leg, your chicken thigh, your chicken wing. Where exactly is the chicken finger coming from, Barry? Is it that's like, part of the chicken, Jeff? Exactly. Yes. Next uh, headline, Barry, coming to us. It says pair arrested after allegedly setting booby trap up outside their home. Two people were arrested Wednesday after allegedly setting up a booby trap in front of their home. Deputies spoke with a man who said that while conducting business at a home on Ashburn Court on March 10th, he heard and felt a loud boom, boom. He looked down and saw a wire wrapped around his leg, felt pain in his ear, and had blurry vision. The man told deputies he believed the wire was suspended over one of the steps leading to the front door. He was confronted by a man who he believed to be the homeowner, then was taken to the hospital by a co-worker. While investigating, detectives found another wire placed in a similar location at the home. Deputies got a search warrant at, uh, for the home, found the device still in place near the front door steps, and a similar device near the steps, the back door of the home, a standoff ensued. But a short time later, deputies took two people into custody. Wow, Barry, these people either were extremely protre- uh, protective of their home or they really didn't want salesmen coming by. Barry Rose, Florida man or not? I'm going to say it's not. I'm going to say this took place. You just said, I think you said Ashburn and I believe there was Ashburn a, Court. That's the name of the street. I believe there was a, I believe Richie Ashbourne that played uh, for the uh, the Phillies many, many, many years ago. There's an Ashburn before you were a fan bandwagon jumper. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which was the Eagles, but I do like the Phillies. But there was there's an Ashburn Alley. And I believe there's an Ashburn Place. There's a whole area that's got. I'm going to say this took place in Philadelphia. So I'm only going to give you half credit because it had nothing to do with Philadelphia, nothing to do with PA. Okay. In fact, Colorado. Okay. So what am I getting a half point for? Well, because you were, oh, it's got to be around Philadelphia. (laughs) No, no, it does not. So anyway, next uh, Florida man story here. Let me pull it up here. Uh, The headline reads, woman sparks online debate after spotting a strange $5 charge on her check. Ooh, Barry, another food-related story. A woman's pleasant dinner with her friends turned into a fierce debate online when she noticed an unusual charge on her restaurant check. Ashley Nicole, 33, was enjoying her meal when she spotted an additional $5 charge for, quote, employee health on the check. Nicole narrated the incident on social media on January 10th with the caption, Is this normal? The weirdest thing just happened to me, she began. She described how it was a rainy day. Oh, sounds like the beginning to a novel. It was a rainy day. Uh, 
and her friends had decided to meet for a meal at an Italian restaurant, which she had visited multiple times in the past. We enjoyed our meal. We get the check. We pay for our check. And as we were, like, signing the tip and stuff, we noticed something. The video then turns to a screenshot of her bill, which revealed what Nicole and her friends had ordered for dinner. If you notice down here towards the bottom, there is a $4.75 charge for employee health. Do you see that, she asked in the video. A 5% charge for employee health. Immediate thought is, what is employee health? What does it mean? She then decides to ask the restaurant what the fee covers after discussing a few possibilities with her friend at the table before leaving. As we're walking out, I go up to the hostess and I'm like, hey, quick question, just curious, adding that she directed the hostess's attention towards the 5% uh, 5 charge. And she goes, oh, that's our health care. Nicole says, while giving a bewildered gaze to the camera, my reaction was, your health, your health care? And she goes, yes, that's our health care, she said. Next to the video, she asked her viewers if this was normal practice at other restaurants at well. Uh, the video soon garnered uh, immense attention with comments ranging from outrage to disbelief, wait, Wait, how is it now customer's responsibility to pay for their health care, wrote one user on TikTok. I'm sorry, but I'm not paying for this. So let me stop right there, Barry. Have you ever heard of this? I've never heard of that now. Yes. So uh, let's see. So let's put it this way, and then you can guess what uh, what city this took place in. If a restaurant's doing this, complete bullshit or acceptable? <sighs> bullshit. Okay, it, should a customer have to pay for a server or a cook or any other sort of restaurant staff's health care, or is that the responsibility of the owner, the manager, the corporation, whatever? I, I mean, it, let take out the word restaurant. And Jeff, I mean, you go to—I I should say maybe we keep it in because you go to a lot of restaurants. But let's say you you were into clothes and you are the fashion plate. Let's be well, honest. Well, it goes without saying. Yeah. It does. But let's say you were and and you went into a—I uh, was going to say Birdines, showing how dated I am. <laughs> <laughs> how about Jay Byron's or Jay Byron. Jordan? You went into Zayers <laughs> to uh, to get the new uh, Paris Lack. Jeffers. So, Jeffers. <laughs> How many can we pull out of these? Exactly. Zayers, Jeffersons, Jay Byron's. Uh, there was others. Shit. What was the other ones? There was Burdines, Jordan Marsh. Yes. Did you hear me so, say Richards? Remember Richards? Oh, Richards. Holy shit. Let's say you go into Macy's and you want to buy a shirt and they don't have it and you've got to pay for their health care. Like, really? Of course it's the employer. This is what infuriates me. The fact that owners of restaurants and, and it's, I'm not talking necessarily your mom and pop who do, especially in this economy, struggle, but you've got big corporations, conglomerates that don't offer insurance that that put on these surcharges whether it's credit card or something out and then you find out the CEO just made 6 million dollars last year and it's like come on i got to pay for health you know i i'm a i'm a guy who works for a living i've got to pay the health care of your employees as you make 6 million dollars a year and again i'm not referring to mom and pop a little italian restaurant it's bullshit. It's all of this is something that's been created since COVID with going into fast food restaurants where they say, do you want to leave a tip? Why would I want to leave a tip for a fast food restaurant? When did we ever do this before? Why are we doing it now? There's no logic whatsoever. It's essentially letting these restaurant owners and operators off the hook. And it pisses me off. Well, you know, as you were discussing that, it makes me think, you know, like how many times do you see these things? I, 
I'm going to guess that they're accurate. Uh, maybe they're not. But you see these listings of uh, what the various CEOs, uh, the chief financial officers of corporations like the American Red Cross and Goodwill, what they make on a yearly salary. Uh, you know, and so you go and you donate your goods to the American Red Cross or, or, or Goodwill, uh, when people, you know, end of the year, you're cleaning out your closet and you're going to donate some clothes or whatever. Uh, you know, they're turning around. They're going to sell that. Uh, they're going to give a small portion of what they, uh, they get to, uh, some sort of different charity. You know, like, uh, recently at the time of recording this, they had uh, very horrific tornadoes down in Mississippi that essentially devastated and uh, obliterated an entire town. Uh, somewhere in Mississippi, like about uh, 25 to 30 people dead. Uh, and while you're doing that, you know, it, it's not necessarily going immediately to take care of people that are in a situation like that. You know, here locally, we when we donate, uh, you know, clothing or, or different items, there is a store that uh, all its proceeds that it makes uh, from donations and sales from the donations goes directly to the main society. And I, I'm absolutely in for that, you know, or or there's a. Uh, Another uh, charitable organization here uh, in our uh, in our town, and it's actually called, quote, The Place, and it deals directly with people in need in this particular community. The money's not going out, you know, to other parts of the state or other parts of the country. It's going right into this town where people, you know, are in need of assistance. And those are the kind of places I think you should be donating to. If you donate and you're generous enough of your time and your efforts and your goods to donate, do it to a local group. Or, or, you know, do it to like some place like the Humane Society. Don't give to these national corporations. You know, fuck them. They don't need it. Uh, anyway, what I was going to say, uh, just to finish up this particular story, uh, where do you suppose this story took place, Barry, where the woman had the surcharge on her dinner check? This took place, uh, this took place in Utah. Eh. Barry Rose, other than the uh, Gulf Coast of the state of Florida, where's the one place you want to live more than any place? Right around Tampa. No, I said other than the Gulf Coast. Try to oh, listen. Oh, other than the – yes, sure, you did say that. Uh, I'm guessing California. Los Angeles, California, the restaurant. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to our boys Rick Nathan and Gabe Daigle. We want you to check this place out. It is called Osteria La Buca. Have you ever been there, Bear? I don't believe so. Australia well, now you can bypass it. That's all I'm going to say. Cause, you know, yeah, I, I will too. Uh, Italian, to I just, and I just Googled it. It's in, uh, Sherman Oaks. I lived in Sherman Oaks briefly. Um, Name dropper. Yeah. Well, not really. <laughs> if, you, if you've ever been there, you don't really, uh, that's not, that's like admitting that I, uh, I once slept with, uh, the chick from eight is enough, right? It's, well, uh, yeah. Things you're not going to ever admit, uh, but yeah, it's in Sherman Oaks. But, but yet you did admit it on this very fine podcast. Well, rumor has it that I did, but yeah, yes, but it's, so. again, nothing to actually brag about, but yeah. Hey, yeah well, because it. it wasn't really the hot sister. I'm just going to say that. No. And, and then of course, if you, and I think it was Jamie Ward, if you Google her now, yeah, she's not, uh, didn't really age as well. There's been a lot of as you. In her she life. did not age as well as you did. Let's, well, let's be honest. Exactly. I, uh, yeah, I've aged pretty well for a guy who's 70. You know? uh-huh. The next story uh, reads Barry, OnlyFans model fake Barbie jailed for stabbing boyfriend to death demands sex behind bars. An OnlyFans model, the story goes, jailed for murdering the father of her three children, is asking the prison for conjugal visits so she can engage in sexual activity while incarcerated. Because, of course, Barry, when you're in the big house, you know, there is an expectation that must be met, uh, you know, especially if you're, uh, you sure. know, 
OnlyFans model. Uh, Abigail White, who has been dubbed Fate Barbie for her blonde hair, large breasts, and pouty mouth. Bear, do you like a nice pouty mouth? I think I do, yeah. Yes. Stabbed her boyfriend, Bradley Lewis, 22, in the heart with a 17-inch kitchen knife. Now, uh, let me oh. just say, hey, let me let me just say, hold on. I know that we put this out there that I don't do death stories, don't do murder stories. That's this true. is not this is not a story about her killing her boyfriend. This is about the fact that this this fucking idiot demands to have sex uh, as some sort of natural right uh, while she's in the joint. Uh, so anyway, uh, now that being said, uh, while she's incar- uh, incarcerated in prison for a minimum sentence of 18 years, she's asking the prison system to change its policies on visitation so that the OnlyFans star can, quote, fulfill her needs. She's a lady with needs, Barry. Uh, she wrote, it's come to my attention after recently being sentenced to 18 years that prisons do not facilitate overnight stays for women prisoners and their oh. partners. Well, guess what, honey? You killed your partner. Duh. Uh, they should take into account and consideration our needs and allow men and women to have overnight stays together. Uh, she said, seemingly speaking for other female prisoners, I would like to know what other prisoners think about this, as quite a few of the girls here agree. Barry Rose, Florida Maybe don't woman. fucking kill anybody. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you've got you all these rights. You fucking plunged a, what do you say, 17-inch? Eh, kitchen knife right into his heart. You know, nice, yeah, nice chick. Exactly. Obviously. Uh, I'm going to say that. And the, yet, and yet, there will be somebody out there going, oh, yeah, go ahead and fuck her. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Uh, there's always that one guy. I'm going to say, and I'm going to give you my, my rationale for this one. Okay. I'm going to say this did not occur in Florida because if you remember, there was another OnlyFans model that killed her boyfriend. I want to say in down near Brickle, maybe somewhere in South Beach. Let's, but let's stay away from those OnlyFans models. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, not working out right here. Yeah. I'm going to say this did not take place in Florida based off of that. Bristol, England. Oh, shit. All right. Not even in this country. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, once again, don't be sending me the murder stories. Uh, you know, we've got one particular, uh, guy, uh, sort of one of your fanboys, Barry, that sends me the stories. And I'm like, you know, one of the aspects of Florida, man, is usually it has to have some sort of component that's either ironic, humorous, or like this chick, like, what the fuck, you know? So, uh, it's just a little heads up for all you that, uh, send me this stuff. And I appreciate uh, the fact that we have so many people sending me stuff and, you know, makes for a great segment on our show. We always appreciate it, but try to include at least one of those three components. Uh, next, uh, Barry. Man tries to rob Waffle House with a unique weapon. Uh, let's see here. His improv- uh, improvisation was unexpected and left customers wondering what had just happened. When Edward Rodriguez walked into a uh, Waffle House with a small dog, the patrons had no idea what would transpire next. The man turned his hands into finger guns. He literally held out his fingers, pointed at them like a gun, and said, Get on the ground! Y'all are being robbed! He announced that he was intoxicated and grabbed a handful of napkins before making a, he- a hasty exit. <laughs> Barry Rose. Yeah, this is this is Florida. I mean, if you're oh. trying to if you're trying to rob a Waffle House with finger guns, this is Florida. <laughs> well, right? I, I'm just going to say, Barry, uh, the, the uh, this is Madison County, uh, Florida. The headline reads, in fact, Florida man. Uh, however, I will post uh, perhaps later today at the time of this recording, Barry. Do you know which state has the largest amount of Waffle Houses? By the way, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Bowder and I went to the lovely Waffle House the other day. 
Seriously, how was it? Yeah, yeah, nice waffle. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Kim likes her hash browns there. So, uh, but uh, hash browns love. Anyway, so uh, so what state has the largest amount of waffle? Georgia has the most. Yes, that is correct. Wow, Georgia proud. Woohoo! So, uh, next uh, Florida man story here, Barry. The headline reads: Man arrested for pleasuring himself with an ice pack in front of first responders. Oh. Man was arrested for pleasuring himself with an ice pack while first responders were on call to assist him with breathing issues. He's having breathing issues. And yes, he's got to do the Yankee my wanky. Uh, <clears throat> 30-year-old Terry Majors was, was arrested. Uh, the donger. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> the donger. The donger. Nice. No more Yankee my wanky. Yeah. Uh, was arrested and charged with exposure of sexual organs, a misdemeanor. Released on his own recognizance, according to arrest reports, he called 911 because he was experiencing shortness of breath. Once uh, the EMT crew arrived, Majors removed his clothing and began masturbating with an ice pack. Oh. You know, it, usually the coldness, uh, it, there's shrinkage involved, Barry. Uh, in the presence of first responders, first responders would like to prosecute, said uh, the officer in the arrest report. Recently, Majors was released from jail after serving a one-year sentence on felony charges for selling crack cocaine to an undercover cop. He's also served time in state prison for a burglary. Go figure. Uh, in a similar incident, uh, let's see, a man was uh, tased for twerking in front of police during an arrest. That's always a good idea. So, Barry, uh, this man, uh, is he a Florida man or not? He's not. This guy is not Florida. Any guesses on where you think it might have taken place? <sighs> This sounds like a uh, this sounds like a Mississippi guy. Pinellas County. Oh, didn't you look at a house in Pinellas County? I do, several, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're masturbating with ice packs there, Barry. So just uh, consider yourself uh, warned. That's all I'm going to say. Right. So uh, anyway, never do that in Pinellas County. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you, you can do it other places, but by God, if you're in Pinellas County, you don't jerk off using an ice pack, my man. Uh, let's see. Uh, I've got a couple more. Oh, no, actually, this is the last one uh, sent to me today and very great headlines. Here we go. Threesome turns violent after a woman mocks couple's genitals. (laughs) Don't you hate when that happens? I'm used to it at this point. I'm good. Yes, of course. A couple ended up in handcuffs, not the fuzzy kind. Great writing here in the article. Oh, Uh, after. (laughs) <laughs> no, after, actually, it's not. Right. Uh, after inviting a, quote, disrespectful woman, unquote, over for a threesome. According to police reports received on a complaint from a woman named Della Draper, uh, who claimed to be uh, have been beaten by a couple after she accepted an invitation to join them at their house for a sexual threesome. Citing arrest reports, the smoking gun, I haven't used them as a source in a while, Barry, report that Stephen Lopez met Draper while working as a taxi driver, Lopez said yeah, he was in an open relationship with uh, Angela Vasquez and invited Draper over to have sex with them. During sex, Vasquez claimed that Draper became, quote, very disrespectful, unquote, towards the couple and told the police. She told Stephen he had, quote, hey, get a load of this, Barry. This is actually in the story. Good stuff here. And I believe the first time one of these terms will actually have been used on this fine podcast. Uh, he had a, quote, little dick. And his wife had, quote, Barry, get ready for this one, <laughs> a stank pussy. Wow. <laughs> Which is, by the way, thank you, after 285-plus episodes, the first time we've used the term stank pussy. Wow. <laughs> another another threshold we've reached here on Breaking K-Fame with Bowdrin and Barry. 
Oh, let's see. Uh, police complain. Uh, she complained to police that Vasquez tried to dominate her sexually inside the house. The couple then asked Draper to leave the house, but she retreated to the couch and refused to move. Both Lopez and Vasquez told police. Draper said Lopez then grabbed her by the hair, threw her against a wall, and the couple both threw her outside. Draper then claimed Vasquez reportedly or repeatedly punched her. Barry Rose, this is a Florida man and woman story or not. It should be if it's not an absolute. Little Dick and Stank Pussy. It fills every requirement to be a Florida, a Florida man or Florida woman story. I'll say it's Florida just because. Marathon Florida, Barry. There you yeah, go. You, you know who goes down to uh, Marathon Florida? And I'm not saying he's involved in this story, but you know, Bob McKeon likes to go down there. So, you know. Bob McKeon, let me explain. The, the name was not Bob McKeon. It said Stephen Vasquez. I don't know if it's Bob McKeon or not. Bob McKeon goes everywhere. In the entire state of Florida, with the exception of Lutz. Do you ever notice that? I, I've noticed that, Barry, you know, yes. could, especially since he is a self-proclaimed expert in all things CWF. Barry, about time for the old go home, heading down the stretch. couple things that I want to talk about before we do the old go home. Barry Rose, you and I, we both love a little old school TV. We oh, are yeah. both acknowledged fans of the TV show Emergency, both the junkies uh, featured on Cozy TV as uh, whether, well as some other channels. But, you know, even though, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you have got me into the, uh, the man in the high castle, Barry Rose, I think I texted you and told you that I've started getting into old episodes of Kojak. It's on, it's on a, sh- uh, channel called Get TV, uh, Kojak and Rockford Files, were you a fan of either shows? Both, especially Rockford Files. I Jim Garner, James Garner could do no – I watched Maverick this past weekend, the TV show Maverick, Maverick just to see him. Huge fan. I like Kojak. It, I, I didn't – I don't know if I loved Kojak, but I liked Kojak. But I know it's on Get TV. Is it 6 o'clock every night? Is that right? Uh, actually, midnight every night. So, uh, oh, it used I, to be on earlier. Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hit the old oh. uh, record. And so, so here's – I'm kind of surprised you said that because, you know, Kojak, of course, taking place in nitty-gritty mid-'70s New York City. Uh, you know, Well, uh, until you see the palm trees half the time and then well, you realize no, – there, there are some uh, shots that are obviously – were shot in the city, you know, like when his car is, uh, you know – Oh, going, yes, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, so – one of the things I love about these two shows, and, and quite frankly, like the, the TV show Emergency, is when you have the uh, the special guest star that pops up, like in the episode of Kojak that I watched last night, featuring a young pre-Oscar winning role in Rocky, young Sly Stallone playing a dirty cop. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was crazy. And you always see these, uh, you know, uh, the special guest. Rockford's the same way. You get these... Uh, Guess you're like, oh my God, look who it is. And you know, it's like, you know, we did our uh, top 10 character actors. Usually you have, uh, uh, somebody from our list of top 10 character actors, which is probably well, Simon a- Oakland's in every episode. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, exactly. it's funny you said that. I just watched a Rockford Files episode. Yeah. Simon, Simon Oakland's in it. Sure. Yeah, so, uh, but then he's always like, why are you talking like that? You, you always, he's always a bad guy too. Always a bad like guy. One step away from having a stroke. He was not a bad guy in Kolchak, the Night Stalker. No. All right. No, he wasn't. Right, right. But he died, he died in real, very young, if I'm correct, right? Probably of a heart attack. Uh, of know, a heart he, attack, yeah. Uh, want to give a, uh, a special shout out, uh, to, uh, I got a note from a friend of the show, Christopher Hyde, who is, in fact, Barry, 
a Patreon subscriber. Uh, we want to thank him for that so much. Uh, and uh, he said uh, how much he's enjoying uh, the the content that we feature, not only in the Patreon show, but on this particular uh, regular show also. And it's always nice to get a nice message like that, and I uh, very much appreciate it. Thank you very much, Christopher. So not to end the, the show on a down note, but uh, there is something I, I want to mention here. Uh, that is a little close to home. Uh, you know, Barry and I, both proud fathers, uh, you know, Barry of uh, Zach and Zoe and, uh, and myself with my, uh, my daughter Kelly, my son Andy. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before though, my son, uh, my daughter Kelly is a, uh, the supervisor of the vet technicians at an animal hospital here locally. And, you know, uh, Kelly happened to call, uh, and speak to her mom the other night and she was saying, it's been a really tough day. And, uh, you know, she said we were understaffed, you know, people calling in and stuff like that. And then she goes, we had 11 animals come into our hospital today and we had to put nine of them down. Oh, and, you know, and she's she said, I just want to go home and I just want to, you know, like just like sit on the couch and decompress. And, you know, the reason I'm telling you this is because one of the things, you know, my daughter will post uh, on Facebook or, you know, her different social media uh, sites that she does is the amount of uh, suicide that happens within, uh, whether it's veterinarians or, uh, you know, uh, technicians that work, uh, you know, uh, alongside them and, and, and the medical industry too, doctors and, and, uh, and nurses and stuff like that. And you know what? Because Barry and I are also big uh, animal lovers, uh, you know, dogs, but we have people in our group that are, you know, uh, cat owners and other different kinds of pets. You know, if you have to take your pet, whatever kind of pet it is, to an animal hospital uh, or the vet, be appreciative that, you know, these people are working very diligently, very hard. They're doing the best job that they can do. And they're dealing with a patient that can't tell them what's wrong with them all the time, you know. And un- unfortunately, you know, I, I would love, you know, as much as I've mentioned over the last six months, Barry, uh, my boy Gunny, uh, I'd love to be able to still talk about my boy Gunny. Fortunately, I have my boy Snap next to me now, you know. Uh, but there's nothing that could have been done to help Gunny. And sometimes it's just time. And, you know, time is, has caught up with them and it's their time to go. And there's nothing the vet or the vet tech or the nurse or the doctor can do other than to tell you how sorry they are. And, but it affects them too. Sure. And please remember that when you're dealing with these people, don't take your frustration, your anger or your sadness out on them. They have lives of their own. My daughter has to drive home while thinking, that they lost nine out of 11 patients that they had to put down. I don't know what the, I don't know what the, the circumstances were, but when she told me that, I was just like, Oh my God, how, how do you get up and go to work the next day knowing that, you know, you, you know, maybe, maybe the next day they see 11 patients and none of them have to be put down. But what if you have another day like that? Just think about that when you're dealing with with somebody in the medical industry, whether it's veterinary, whether it's the you know going to see your own doctor or or, or healthcare provider. Just think about those things. So anyway, uh, Jeff, very, I, I've never shared with you, and it's sure, time to break kayfabe. Between the age of 18 and 19, I actually worked for a vet. I was a a vet assistant, meaning I had no training. They just I'd be the guy that would hold the dogs and the cats or go for and do all that shit with that. I had to quit 
because of some of the things I've seen, which I will not tell you about because I don't want to ruin your day. But it, it's true. It's uh, especially if you, you know, if you love animals and you'd have to make the assumption that people that choose to do this for a living do love animals. And it is devastating. And Jeff, before we do wrap up, I want to give a couple of quick shout outs if we can. Bruce Cohen. As everybody knows, if you are a listener to this podcast or a member of our Facebook group, which, of course, brings the question, if you're not a member, the question is why? Bruce Cohen uh, had a medical emergency a little bit earlier this year and uh, still in the hospital, uh, still going through rehab. I don't know if it's a hospital. He might be in an outpatient facility or uh, doing something. But Bruce is on the mend. His sense of humor's back. And this past week, I think just over the past couple of days, has begun posting in our Facebook group. You and I both love the guy, so I know that you know you'll join me in wishing Bruce all the best and how happy uh, we are that he's back and been able to join us. And Ariel Abelog, and I'm sure I could be butchering that the last name, but Ariel's been a member of our Facebook group since day one, and he posted some unfortunate news today that because of diabetes it does look like his eyesight is going. So with that, uh, Ariel, we are firmly in your corner, as we always have been. I make it out to California. I expect to go to In-N-Out Burger with you. Just um, don't go to that one restaurant that has uh, that 5% uh, charge on Osteria there. La Buca. Yeah. <laughs> I will not be going there. <laughs> We're going to publicly shame them until they drop that surcharge. But I did see that post by Ariel and uh, my man. You're uh, you're in both our thoughts, and I'm sure Sweet Lou. I can speak to him uh, also. That uh, you know, kick out of this, brother. You know, don't don't give up. As Jim Valvano said, don't ever give up. So anyway, on that note, Barry, I think it's time that we take this ship into port for Barry Rose and uh, not in Plymouth meeting PA. Where the hell are you again, Barry? I can never I figure it out. Beautiful downtown Sellersville, Pennsylvania. Are you are you technically in the downtown area? Or are you on the outskirts of Sellersville? Uh, I think I'm actually See there. Downtown. I threw you for a loop, didn't I? I yeah. know. I think I really Sweet am downtown. Lou, hopefully, that construction on his place is finally done. I don't hear any hammering this episode in the background, so I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. it's done. So we will try to uh, have a slightly more uplifting ending to our show next week. Uh, so anyway. Uh, uh, and I don't want to forget my buddy Gunny. I, I realized last week I forgot to say uh, to Gunny that I think about him a lot because I really do. And uh, we are a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next week, folks. Thanks so much for listening.